Rock and roll. Kia ora everybody, what's up? Welcome to Rebet Live, episode 290. Uh, it's been a minute, been doing a bunch of stuff, and I've decided to jump back in uh, to some of these uh, interviews after lockdown, had a couple of months off social, um, and I thought I would, New Zealand seems to be at a very interesting time. I've invited and I've talked to other ministers on the past, I've talked to other leaders from all sorts um, in the political landscape. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. David Seymour, our leader of the ACT Party. How are you, mate? Oh, very good. Thanks, Robert. Uh, how's life up in California? Uh, a bit more freedom than New Zealand at the moment, and so it feels like the world's kind of switched over the last 12 months, which gets me super no, excited that I'm here. No, but then I thought you were dying in the streets, and, uh, you know, Jacinda had saved us from mass carnage. Are you you're telling me oh, that geez. normal life's returning? Uh, in the States, for a country that's united, it's very divided and so my concerns when i think about new zealand that i love very much and one of the reasons i wanted to get you on the show is um to talk through a bunch of uh stuff now i want to start with this point uh i've not been paid to get you on or any of this i'm i've invited a bunch of others on i've talked to them in the past but i'm very interested with politicians with when they decide to go into politics you walk down the street one person says to you david you're the man Next person says, hey, David, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> How do you balance so much love and hate and divisiveness from human to human when you're trying to go for a cause that's potentially greater than yourself as with the headspace strategically with how you, when you decide to go into this world, how have you navigated the, the weight of individuals' opinions potentially being so loving or so potentially toxic? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, um, the second kind of feedback in person in New Zealand is incredibly rare. I mean, the number of people that are rude to me in person is really low. And even when you go door knocking, you know, people say, look, you know, actually, I'm a card-carrying communist. I wouldn't vote for you the last candidate on earth. But you're still really nice and good luck, and I hope everything goes well for you. So, you know, that's kind of more likely. So I think we're really lucky in that sense. I think it also tells you something about social media. You know, people will say things behind a keyboard that they never say in person. Um, and maybe that's more a commentary on what the, the digital age means for uh, a society. But, I mean, put, taking, putting that aside and taking your wider point, um, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, not everyone agrees with you? I mean, for one thing, everyone has that in just about whatever career they're in. And I think it's probably the same as whatever business, if you're doing a startup business, everyone says it'll never work, you're hopeless, you're going to lose your money, why would I risk that? Um, if you know that your idea has merit and you know that it could do a lot of good for a lot of people uh, and you're prepared to be honest and robustly debate that, um, then that, that's enough. You, know, you don't need everyone to agree with you, you just need to know that you are doing good things for the right reasons. And I think ACT policies uh, pass that test and they've been wi widely debated. And I think that, for example, uh, if we could just sort out the conflicts between uh, local government planning and central government funding and get some infrastructure built, that would open up a lot more land and that would give the next generation a lot more opportunities um, to, to actually own a place of their own, which is, is one of our biggest anxieties in New Zealand right now. I would definitely agree, especially for the first home buyers put. I, I've, I did a bit of digging into you and I got someone that messaged me, they said... Um, 
The big, one of the biggest things about David is he turned down a minister role in John Key's government so he could work an advocate on the end-of-life choice bill. Um, so basically it's a you know a couple hundred thousand dollar high-profile job within parliament to continue to work as a one-man band and promote something he truly believed in. So my mum always said to me um, you know, years ago, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So maybe rewinding to that point, but I'm interested, you know, what do you stand for? Well, I stand for the idea that, um, first of all, if you're not harming anyone else, you should be able to do what you like because freedom uh, has its own value, but it's also hugely valuable to our society. So again, you think about people in Silicon Valley and techs and startups, sometimes letting one person use their freedom can bring about ideas and change that has benefits that we just couldn't even imagine. Uh, and of course, if you want that to happen, you probably don't want to just pick some people to be free. You need everybody because um, if the Silicon Valley story tells us anything, it's that you don't know uh, who's going to have the, the next big idea. So I believe in freedom first and foremost because it releases the creative powers of a free society. Um, and the, the next thing I'd say is that you know if you if you have that, um, one of the things you deliver other than prosperity is social mobility. So I, I look at the idea that someone who's born into New Zealand or anywhere, but I'm focused on New Zealand, um, who may not be that lucky, if they do the right things and they have the right attitude, then they can actually get somewhere. And increasingly, I, I think if you're born into some parts of New Zealand, some backgrounds, your chance of actually getting an education that will equip you for the 21st century is not not that great. And unfortunately, there's really powerful statistics to show that. Um, your chance of being in a property-owning democracy, increasingly, if your parents don't own in the property market, they can't help you in. Um, and then are you going to have an interesting job that's globally connected and near the technology frontier? Um, those are all reasons that we need more innovation, not just in the economy that we normally think of, but in the social economy and our social services. That's what charter schools were about. So, you know, I, I believe in, in, in being free and, and the social mobility and opportunity that that brings. So freedom is an interesting um, thing, right? In the States, obviously, this is it's in the, the lifeblood and the DNA of everything they stand for in America. But say in New Zealand, how do you navigate or balance off the idea of free speech and free uh freedom as a human alongside potentially like mandated vaccines or like you can yes you're free but you need to do this like how does your head reconcile the balance of the two yeah i mean that's that's a really great question because of course freedom does come with one responsibility and that's to bear the consequences of your choices um so you know there are real problems with saying stupid things. People might not like you, people might not invite you to their parties, people might not want to employ you. Um, there's all sorts of consequences um, for speaking and saying unpopular things. Um, what, I, what I like about free speech though, is that over time, we tend to discard bad ideas and get to a better place. What I'm opposed to when it comes to free speech and hate speech is a government trying to decide uh, which things are desirable to say and which things you can't say instead of discussions and debates and civil society getting rid of the bad ideas and promoting the good ones. So when I look at this hate speech law that the government proposes, they say it's going to be a crime to uh, stir up, maintain or normalize hatred against a group of people based on language that is threatening, abusive or insulting. Well, the problem with that is that 
you, everybody's probably guilty of that on, in any given week. Um, who gets prosecuted is going to come down to social trends. And what that means is you've got a government agency that is totally unconstrained by the rule of law. It can go after you know whoever it likes. Um, when it comes to the, the vaccine mandates, and I, I see people have asked you about that in the comments, you know, there is clearly a disagreement in our community. There are some people who do not want to be anywhere near anyone who's unvaccinated. There are other people who think, wrongly in my view, but hey, that the vaccine is going to somehow damage them or harm them or it's, you know, their right, their body, their choice, they don't want to take it, whatever, good on them. The question is, how do you resolve that conflict? Um, so, you know, the Joe Biden approach and, and in the last 24 hours, to some extent, the New Zealand government's approach is we will just say in certain places you must be vaccinated. Um, I don't really agree with that approach. ACT's approach is that we make it clear under the law that if you're a property owner, if you're an employer, if it's your business, uh, you can set a policy and you can decide how that works based on your health and safety obligations. Um, now, of course, if you want to make your business vaccine only, some people might not want to do business with you. On the other hand, if you don't want to get vaccinated, some people might not want to do business with you. But that's just freedom and responsibility being two sides of the same coin. So what this last 18 months has been a bit of a shit show for everyone. What's been the most... Like, have you even been having fun? Like, is it just <laughs> super gnarly? Like, it, uh, the weight of keyboard warriors from the outside, it's very easy to pick apart sections of humans, right? Like this, you know, I'm green on this, I'm red on that, I'm blue on that, whatever. Do, what's been the most fun for you within work in the last 18 months? Or is this not fun? Like, what's the, is fun the wrong word, maybe? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, it, let's just be clear. I mean, the, the global supply chains are stuffed got inflation, governments have taken on enormous debt, huge numbers of people have lost their businesses, kids are missing out on school, a lot of people around the world have actually died from this epidemic. Um, so <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that fun has been in, in short supply. And of course, New Zealand is probably getting to the hard part now. Um, our strategy of locking down and locking out was a good initial holding pattern but it wasn't a substitute for having a plan to safely reconnect with the world. And the government, based on their polling results and general success with eradication initially, um, frankly spent too much time self-congratulating, not enough time preparing to say, well, you know, if we're going to reconnect, how do we re minimize transmission at least cost? How do we minimize hospitalization at least cost? And how do we minimize death? because they don't have any kind of plan or certainty around that, they're now trapped between their old strategy from 2020 that, that's falling apart before their eyes um, and their new strategy, which um, isn't ready, doesn't even exist. So this is not fun, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, no, no it's a, at least you're talking real about it. It's good. So uh, I, let's rewind back 18 months. If you were uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand in March 14th, 2020, what would you have done the same and differently then? And then after it reset, what would you have done same or differently after specifically? So if you if you take, say, February 28, um, I was the first to say that we should close the border with China. They would do it to us. Um, we are letting this thing in, and we need to preserve our options as an island nation by, by closing off to the places where it's coming from. Um, again, I think it was March 21, I said, look, you've got to go to a full lockdown. It's not good enough just to announce these traffic lights. Um, so you know, I was ahead of the curve 
um, on the strategy that the government chose. And I think they did the right thing. New Zealand's great strategic advantage, you know, in the world is that we have this enormous moat surrounding the country. Um, <coughs> and they were right. Once they realized that eradication was possible, not just flattening the curve, but actual zero to push through and complete it. So, you know, right up to about the start of May um, 2020, uh, I think the government had basically the right idea. And, uh, you know, we were pretty much in lockstep. But where, where the difference started to emerge is we were saying, look, you know, we've got to find a way to reconnect with the world. There's steps we could be taking right now. Let me just give you one example. Um, we, <clears throat> we locked out uh, our Pacific friends from coming to New Zealand, as they do every year, um, as REC recognize seasonal employer workers to do horticultural work and agricultural work and so on. Um, that was nuts. There was no COVID in almost any Pacific island. Um, they rely on the income. The New Zealand economy relies on the workers. And critically, at exactly the time that the CCP is buying influence in the South Pacific, uh, we decided to treat our friends like we'd never met them before. Uh, now, that was just so crazy. Um, here's another thing, you know, a business travel network. We proposed that now this March. The government's just doing it now with 150 people. Um, there's no greater risk then than there, than there was now, but the number of people in business who just can't renew their relationships, let alone build new ones on Zoom. Um, so these are all the kinds of things where we've started to say, look, you, you know, you got it right at first, but instead of basking in it, what they needed to do was immediately say, how do we get testing, tracing, treatments, vaccination, ready to go? What's our reconnection plan? Because um, it's going to hurt when we do it. How do we make sure that we're prepared so it hurts as little as possible? Agreed. So today you wake up. It's October 21. If you were prime minister, if you were, you know, New Zealand's best twerking prime minister, uh, what oh, would, would you do? What, what would what would be the first policy you do right now? You roll up, you sprinkle a little Seymour fairy dust. What would you do today to help New Zealand? Well, I, I mean, I gave a I gave an answer to that um, in the, a speech I wrote, which was the prime minister the, the speech Jacinda Ardern should have given um, last Monday. And what you what she needs to do, and it's largely contained in our COVID three point zero plan. So this is just on COVID, but we can talk about other things too. But but on COVID. Uh, they need to say on the 1st of December, everybody's had an opportunity to be vaccinated. You know, you don't have to. I highly recommend it, but you all have had a chance. Um, at that point, we are going to start opening up. People can come to New Zealand, negative tested three days before flying, negative test at the gate, negative test when they get off the plane, self-isolate at home for three days, negative test at the end of that. Um, if you're double vaxxed, you can do that. Uh, we're not going to keep using lockdowns. Uh, we're not going to lock down anybody other than people who have just arrived, who are infected or contact of an infected person um, or a, a person who uh, is vulnerable. If they're in a retirement village, we need to put more, more protection around those sorts of people um, who might actually be, be vulnerable to COVID. So th those are the kinds of things that, that we could do. And, and then you'd say, look, we're going to make a rule that you don't need MedSafe approval to have a treatment in New Zealand. If it's approved in Australia, Britain, Europe, or the US by the FDA, um, then it's illegal to use it in New Zealand. Because the idea that we wait for MedSafe 
to, to tell us that the rest of the world got it right. All they do is delay approval by a few months. New Zealanders should have access to the best treatments available around the world and the same for testing uh, and the same for tracing. So, you know, that's that, 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 that's the next thing you'd do. And then you'd do something this government's totally failed at, and that is treat New Zealanders like adults. Take business, take community. Say, look, we're going to get involved with everyone around the table, and we're going to call it a sprint for the next two months until Freedom Day. We're going to ask you to come up with a code that will minimize transmission, hospitalization, and death. Those are our global goals. Everyone's behind that. And imagine saying to the tech sector, how could we do better at contact tracing? Imagine saying to hospitality, how can we reduce transmission in restaurants at least cost? Imagine saying to primary healthcare providers, how do we minimize the number of people who actually need to go to hospital? Um, if you got people around the table on those sorts of goals and actually listened to them, uh, then we could be so much better off. But unfortunately, everyone that tries to give the government a new idea uh, gets gets taken away. You can see that in stuff. Just an hour ago, they published an article about Allied Pacific Health Group and the shenanigans that have gone on with saliva testing. It's just absolutely disgraceful. So it feels you're taking a good few digs at the, the current government. Next election, would you are you rolling out working with either of them? Like, how does it? I, I haven't been in politics, but I imagine you need friends. Uh, they, you know, you, you're obviously growing, you're starting to get some flex, getting some social clout, getting some good TikToks with your Twix or whatever. When this rolls out, have you clearly written off who you would or won't, won't work for? Is that clear, or are you just kind of saying it how it is and seeing what happens? Um, I think it's pretty clear that, that we couldn't work with Labour. Um, you know, what they're doing at the moment is just so damaging and so dangerous in a number of areas. Um, number one is the way that they go about lawmaking is absolutely unforgivable. Uh, the oil and gas exploration ban, no consultation, no cabinet paper, no lawmaking, just announced from the podium that they were going to decimate an industry. That does huge damage to New Zealand's reputation. Uh, you look at what they're doing, not to go back to saliva testing, but it's very topical. Um, they're, they're trying to pass a law right now that they can basically confiscate any laboratory materials or equipment if they need it for testing. Uh, now, this is extraordinary because Reiko Science have been trying to sell it to them uh, for the last year. They refused to buy it. Now they're passing legislation so they can just take someone's business. Uh, th this is really damaging stuff. Um, the next area that's really damaging is that they are doing everything they can to embed uh, an ethno-state where there are two groups of political rights and they depend on your birth. Um, you know, so many countries have worked so hard over such a long period of time to get to equal rights. It's what the UN Declaration of Human Rights says. Yeah. We are born free and equal. The New Zealand government right now is desperately trying to make everything about birth and race, and it's just so dangerous. Um, and then there's what they did to charter schools and their general bumbling incompetence. But, you know, there, there's certain things they're doing that, that really are, are just unforgivable and need to be reversed. So going down this realm of uh, culture for a second, got a question that got submitted and says that uh, the data that show the data shows that the nation will be predominantly made up of Maori, Pacifica and Asian populations. How does uh, David see his actions today potentially impacting our people of tomorrow? Good question. Well, I'm not really sure what they mean, but um, what I do know is that there's no examples in the world of feudalism being a success. 
that. If you want a society to be prosperous and to offer people opportunity and mobility, um, then you need to be very clear that you want to be a nation state with one set of political rights. Um, and I guess, you know, to be honest, I find it a, a slightly um, tiresome question because I think what the person's really trying to say is that equal human rights um, are, are something that maybe people who are Maori or Pacific or Asian aren't interested in and they should have a different political system. I, I don't think that's true. Um, frankly, it's, it's actually a bit of a bigoted question from whoever asked that. Um, you know, what, what I say is that if we want our society to work, we need to be really clear that human rights are universal, that opportunity is universal, that property rights are universal, that, that science is universal. And that might seem like an odd thing to say, but right now the Ministry of Education is trying to say that there are two versions of science, there's Maori and the rest of society. Um, you know, we, we need to get really clear about universalism because otherwise we're going to have really big problems uh, as New Zealand becomes you know, balkanized, which um, seems to be what that questioner is suggesting. It's always tricky when you get on the culture route, uh, route because it gets very um, very emotional, very quick, right? And, uh, you know, I'm part Māori, part, part Pākehā, and I've, you know, got through the COVID stuff, I've, I've, I've had COVID, got COVID. It's like a totally different story. Do you feel, like, how do you, like, racially in New Zealand right now, do you think there's an undertone of growing racism due to the fact of the highly unvaccinated Māori and Pacific Island crew? Like, how do you feel, what do you feel the undertone cultural little points of racism? Is it getting better or worse right now? <laughs> well, the, the big danger in New Zealand... Um, is that we, we currently um, have a, a, a government that is constantly telling people that your racial background matters, that, oh, if you have this background, then you have certain customary rights to and special connection to fish or water or plants, and that, you know, you need to have oversight based on who your of this policy based on who your ancestors were. Um, this isn't basically every piece of policy and legislation the current government puts forward. Now, the danger is if the government tells people constantly that your race matters more than your universal human value, um, then, of course, people at some point are going to start believing the government. And once they do, it's very, very difficult to reverse. So that's how dangerous what this government is currently doing really is and why it needs to be reversed by a, a, a commitment, a restatement of our commitment to universal human rights, to humanity uh, over racial differences. When it comes to COVID, unfortunately, this is another example. The government has chosen to emphasize throughout the vaccination rollout, how many Pacific, how many Asian, how many European, how many Maori, um, everybody, it, it, you know, it's not your vulnerability to COVID. It's, it's not necessarily your, your age or your, you know, what sort of housing you live in or what sort of work you do. Um, or, you know, what sort of comorbidities you have, um, because, of course, they didn't have any of that data because they've been so hopeless uh, at the rollout and the use of data and partnering with GPs who do have such data and so on. Um, so they just reverted to categorizing people by race. And, of course, now they've, they've put themselves in an impossible position because they've said, if you don't vaccinate, then, you know, you may die. Then they've, then they've put everyone into racial categories and said, Maori people are less vaccinated. Then they've then they've got people saying, well, if you lift the restrictions, these people are going to die. And Maori people are less vaccinated. So you've got the Maori party out there saying it'll be a Maori Holocaust, which is incredibly 
distasteful um, for anyone who actually knows a bit of history. But nevertheless, that's the situation that the government has created. And what they should have done is focused on vulnerability to COVID-19 uh, using real data based on comorbidity, housing, living location, work type, and, and focused on how do we minimize hospitalization, which is, is you know what, what we've been saying all along. Um, they've now created a huge problem. I, I think the way out is to say, actually, this is how it's going to be. We're going to have a deadline. Everyone has personal responsibility to get vaccinated um, and turn it around. So say, look, you know, are you really saying that Maori are less capable of responding to a deadline and getting themselves vaccinated? I don't believe that. I'm part Maori like you. Um, you know, I think that, that we need to make this about personal responsibility rather than making a whole lot of groups dependent on the government. Because at the moment, you face a prospect of all of Auckland being locked down because the government says we, we, we have to wait for Maori rates. And, and that, that is going to be really, really dangerous. So the answer is yes, you think New Zealand's getting more racist? Um, no? I, I think that what the government is currently doing um, risks that. I, I, I don't know that we are overall. I, I think if you compare you know, the culture and the things that people would say even 20 years ago, I, I think we've become far more tolerant and accepting than we used to be. Um, certainly 40, 50 years ago, you know, things have, things have got much better. I mean, you try watching Billy T. James now. I mean, it, it just, you know, it just, it's like, what, bro, what do you, you know? Um, I don't even know how to describe that. So, you know, New Zealand's made huge progress. But right now, the biggest danger is, is the government, which is trying to commodify people into identities. Jeez. You, when, you, when all the politicians just get drunk, wasted in a bar somewhere, does everyone just go to town because they're so intellectual and so good with words? Like, how, how, how crazy is it that your, your world is literally consuming all this information having points of difference from it like where do you do you have advisors do you have like who's in your inner circle is it a bunch of old people a bunch of young people like how do you how do you learn where does your info come from because you you clearly have to have a 360 approach to all of it, it just seems like a lot of brain work all the time it feels yeah, very stressful. Um, <laughs> well i don't i don't really drink much anymore and um i certainly don't try and be friends with other politicians. I, I think if you come to Parliament looking for friends, then you get, you, you know, <laughs> you've got serious problems. Um, look, uh, I mean, again, I don't think it's that much different to being in any other business. An act in many respects is a bit like a startup because you're trying to do something new to relatively small organization. I mean, there's, you know, only really a few dozen people involved at the core of it. Um, and, um, you know, we, 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 we have people that we listen to and read a lot. Um, you know, we pay for some advice, market research and so on. So there's no sort of magic formula or secret group. Um, you just sort of, like anyone starting up a business, go about getting the best information you can and applying it as quickly as you can. How hard is it to have an open mind being a politician? Um, well, I mean, I, of course... Most politicians would think they do have an open mind. I guess you could turn it around and say, well, what are the things that constrain you? Um, well, for one thing, um, you know, you, you've got to be representatives of a group of people. Uh, and so, you know, you can't sort of wake up one day and say, 
something completely anathema to them and say you want to represent another group of people because that neither of them will trust you. Uh, so that's mm. certainly something that you have to bear in mind. Um, you also have to be, uh, you know, re respectful of your party because um, your party brand also needs to be consistent over time. Um, and you also have to, <coughs> you know, be loyal to yourself and, and your views. Mm. So I, I think all, all, all politicians end up, you know, making sure that they, they balance the, the, the needs of their constituents first and foremost, but also their party and themselves. Because, um, look, I'm not, you know, going through all this so I can advocate policies I don't believe in. My party won't support me doing that. And there's my constituents. So those are probably the, the way to think about it, the, the three things that, that kind of guide a politician, constituents, party and person. Do you think if you were, you know, if you're an alien that came to New Zealand and you looked at the whole macro system of politics, do you think there's ever a potential way forward where a system could get constructed where people could have voice on an issue by issue basis, not on a pick one, choose all? I, I had a conversation with a, a friend recently and he was saying, you know, when it comes to environment stuff, I'm extremely green on this side. And when it comes to my business, I'm insanely blue on that. When it comes to, you know, culture, I'm insanely red on this. And it feels that there's, you know, humans are more dimensional than just like the, the one stroke sort of fits all. Could you see a world in New Zealand where a system operates that isn't party by party, but actually on an issue by issue, more micro ongoing real-time basis? Yeah. Um, we have a fantastic system that allows people to choose issue by issue um, for themselves. It's called the free market. Every day, people make their own choices and bear the consequences of them uh, in their work and their consumption and their investment, uh, you know, what type of entertainment they have. Uh, the real problem is not, you know, can you change the political system and give people a different voting system or whatever? Um, that, that's that's not going to cut it. The real issue, the, the frustration of that person is that there's too much government, there's too much collective decision-making bounding everybody to have one system or one set of views on a, on a whole range of quite different issues. Um, the, the way to get what your guy or your girl questioner wants um, is actually to reduce the level of government decision-making because it's so clunky. Uh, have more decisions made in business and civil society uh, where people people do exactly what you describe. Hmm. Um, I know we're pressure time before we go. Two more quick ones. One is what is your current view on blockchain, crypto, NFT, digital future? Like how, how do you have a, a view on that at a macro of where this is going? This whole space is going to go economically and digitally in the next ten years. No, no, I'm terrible at this. About 10 years ago, about 10, go back about 10 years, I thought I could have bought some Bitcoin at 10 cents and I thought, no, I won't go anywhere. Um, so, you know, um, one thing I do know is that New Zealand's future is going to depend on skills and knowledge. Um, we, we're not going to be at the centre of the world for doing anything that's physically heavy. Um, we, we're going to have to be able to innovate and do really niche stuff. I, I think the Sir Paul Callaghan um, opinion piece, which is still on the Herald website or was last time I looked, um, our strength lies in the weird stuff, is so important to understand um, that you know New Zealand is always going to be a niche player in a lot of different 
highly specialized industries. And the more that we have an education system that is strong on maths and science, technology, and allows people to understand blockchain and NFTs and um, cryptocurrencies that, 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 you know, if you understand the underlying technology, you're in a position to build those niche positions um, and actually build really valuable companies that can make New Zealanders wealthier and give us more interesting jobs. So look, I personally don't claim any sort of expertise. I'm just a recovering electrical engineer. But I do know that when New Zealand students are going down every year in their maths, liter uh, math, science and, and reading scores, and those are, those are international scores, that we've got a really big problem uh, if we want those kinds of technologies to be relevant to New Zealand's future. Yeah, it's interesting coming from the tech side. I think, you know, tech's probably the second or third biggest export right now. Um, weightless, global, scalable, instant. And obviously I'm extremely biased because I, I guess I live in that world. But, you know, I look in the, you know, you talk about these heavy things which don't really, um, they can't really scale to the masses of potentially what it needs to economically to be able to have some better commercial up upside. Um, last question. If you were to write a letter to your 10-year-old self, what are the three top pieces of advice that you would give to yourself in the future outside from yellow pen type twerking on national TV? What would they be? 10 year old um, self, 10 year old self. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, as soon as you hear of something called Bitcoin, buy it. <laughs> um, you know, make sure that you, um, um, what was I going to say? Sorry. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. Okay. Um, and um, make sure that you read um, F.A. Hayek because, um, you know, I think if more people read Hayek, uh, then we'd have a much more nuanced and sophisticated understanding of a, a free society, how it works and what the benefits are. So even if you just read the essay, The Use of Knowledge in Society, it's, it's well worth it. I, I hope that, um, that people will check that out. It's, it's easily Googleable. I'm sure a 10-year-old would be interested in it. Uh, final, final question. 100 years from now, you're going to be dead. I'm going to be dead, unless we're half robots. Uh, what do you think your dent on New Zealand will be in 100 years when you are no longer here and your pixie dust is all but a digital trace? Well, I, I hope to just slightly bend the, the arc of New Zealand history towards being a freer society. Um, I think that's what gives people more social mobility, more opportunity, um, more prosperity, more wealth. Uh, those are the things that I think uh, are important. And of course, there's no law that says New Zealand must remain a free, prosperous and egalitarian society. I mean, most settler societies, you look at Africa, you look at um, South America, uh, most settler societies have been pretty disastrous. We're the exception uh, for now, but we don't have to. And that's why it's so important that we uh, continue to invest in good institutions, good culture, uh, and ultimately resist the urge for you know collective manias to overcome individual liberty. Jeez. On that note, appreciate your time, mate. Um, great chatting, and it's always interesting in the, the political landscape when you've got um, a lot of issues that are very, very emotive about you do a good job of having to navigate the weight of a lot of people's opinions at a lot of time coming at you from all sorts, especially the keyboard warriors. So appreciate your time. Best of luck on your journey, mate. And um, Yeah, you, uh, you too, Robert. Thanks for having me on your show. No stress, mate. appreciate it. See you, buddy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, David Seymour. We'll be at live episode 290. Uh, it's always very interesting with politicians because 
you know, I put a comment up. I was like, hey, I'm going to be interviewing David. And so many people jumped in with so many just different bits and pieces. And it's so hard at a macro to be able to try and please everyone all the time. It's just absolutely impossible. I think at the end of the day, the, the politicians that I've met and the ministers and shit, whether it be from Labour or um, National or whoever's in my circle, I'm always just, the majority of ones that I've personally met, their intent is always good. And they have to navigate such a complex political shit show that's multi-layered deep on so many different levels that you don't really understand until you get in the game. So I have empathy for those that try and do it. Um, obviously, there's some flipping Muppets in it, just like any business or whatever. But um, I think New Zealand, especially now, I would enjoy a spot where it's going to be easier to potentially have tougher conversations like this and talk about either this culture or commerce, community, whatever, maybe more in public without having a single opinion, which becomes a label because there's, there's not always just one size fits all to everything. So anyway, uh, that's been it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining in. We'll be at live episode 290. Enjoy the day. Be good. Be great. And talk to you all soon. Ciao.